Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Have you guys ever heard of the, I don't think it's a magazine, I guess it's a blog, uh, the Babylon Bee? No, it's basically a satire, a Christian satire. And one of their uh, articles were, uh, the worship leader said one more time, 40 times, and they had, uh, interview, they had people interviewing, and they said uh, that it was fine because the, the pastor said one more announcement a hundred times, so, yeah, so I thought it was pretty funny, you know, we can laugh at ourselves sometimes, right? How's everybody doing? Good. Is it colder than Texas? Amen. <laughs> I'm not sure. Is that so be it or so? All right. It's colder than Texas. All right. So I'm actually going to uh, talk a little bit about something that I taught on about a month ago, but I want to talk on presence, promise, and plan. Say that with me. Presence, promise, and plan. His presence is our pursuit, and the promises are the fruit. Say that again. His presence is our pursuit, and the promises are the fruit. And sometimes we really get that mixed up. We want to go after and pursue the promises We want to go after and pursue calling. We want to go after and pursue purpose. We want to go after and pursue giftings. But really, it's about his presence. And out of his presence comes those things. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Actually, the Holy Spirit has just been really pushing that or talking to me about it. He always has it before me that my pursuit is his presence. And everything else follows that. So his promises mean nothing apart from his presence. If all my pursuit is to achieve a promise, then I misjudged his purpose. If all my pursuit is to fulfill the promise, if all my pursuit is to get to that destination, how many of you have ever had a prophetic word and says, you're going to be doing this? And so much of our focus is on that, that we actually forget the purpose, which is his presence. And things can really get out of whack when we put promise before his presence. This truth is really demonstrated in Moses' mentality. In Exodus 35, 15, then Moses said, if you don't personally personally go with us. Don't make us leave this place. What place were they in? They were actually in a place of wilderness, right? And where was the place that he was going? To the promised land. 
And Moses said, listen, God, if you don't go with us, I'll stay in the wilderness if that's where you are. Wow. It's pretty powerful. Meaning I'll stay in a place of waiting if that's where you are. How many of you get tired of the wait sometimes? When's this going to happen, Lord? But really, it's about his presence. That is our pursuit. And out of that flows promise. Does this make sense? So we must be willing to pursue him, his heart, above position, above opportunity, and even above promise. When we pursue promise over presence, eventually we'll be pulled out of peace. Peace is not the absence of a trial. It's not the absence of the storm. It's the presence of Jesus. Now, obviously, we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. That there's no place that we could go that he's not there. So the degree that we experience his presence is to the degree that we place our attention on him. So why do we get pulled out of peace? Because our attention goes on other things. He's with us. He's not going to leave us. But when we place our attention on other things, guess what happens? I experience fear. I experience frustration. I experience doubt. Why? Because my attention is on other things. My attention is on the storm. My attention is on the trial. My attention is even on the opportunity. My attention is on the promise. And all our energy goes into that, and we take our eyes off of him. Matthew 14, 30. So this is talking about Peter. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves... He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. So when we place our attention on other things, we become overwhelmed. We become afraid and we become unsure. Now I'm saying this not to say, you know, if you do that, it's going to take a while to get back to the Lord. No. What did Peter do? Help me. And in the scriptures, it says immediately he reached out his hand. So I'm not saying, hey, if you get off track, it's this long, uh, uh, you know, beating yourself up. No, it's just turning your eyes back to him. Say, that's easy. It's called repentance is what it is. I believe that each individual has a divine purpose a destiny, a calling, a gifting, or giftings. But if that is all we pursue, we miss the point of the promise. Now, I really want you to hear this. I'm going to say it a couple times. But your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation to intimacy. Why did he put those giftings in you? To draw you closer to him. Why did he put that call within your life? You're going to uh, transform nations. Why did he put you there? Why did he put that in your heart? Because it requires you to draw close. So your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation. Can you say that with me? My calling calling is not a destination. destination. It's an invitation invitation. to intimacy. intimacy. 
You know, intimacy is the gateway to the promise. And the truth is, you cannot fake and you cannot perform intimacy. Like you can perform ministry and your heart not be right, but you can't fake intimacy. You can't perform intimacy. Why? Because he knows your heart. So if it's like, well, okay, I want my promises, so I'll do intimacy so I can get to the promises. No, no, no. No, no. Say, I got a lot to learn. (laughs) So you can't fake humble. You can't fake an open, vulnerable, and submitted heart. And let me just say this. Intimacy is going to look different from person to person. So when I say intimacy, sometimes we think, oh, I'm just going to crawl up in daddy father's heart, you know, and just snuggle up. That might not be you at all. (laughs) That might not be real or vulnerable for you. All right. Like some of us connect to that and they're like, Jesus, then we just lay here and then we cry. But intimacy for someone else might be something totally different. And he knows our heart. And he actually put those things within our heart. Maybe for you, it's studying the word for hours. And that's how you connect with the Lord through intimacy. I'm just saying intimacy, you have to be true to yourself. True to who you're called to be. And the truth is, sometimes, have you ever needed a good cry? Some people cry all the time. This doesn't count for you. (laughs) Natasha's like, I need a good cry like once every day. I knew that was coming, right? But for some of you, it's not a common occurrence. But sometimes it's what's needed. So I'm not saying that we want to stay in our box. But I'm just saying intimacy is going to look different from person to person. And that's okay. Say it's okay. It's all right. All right. Many people become very good at performing calling, purpose, and giftings before the people and lack intimacy with God. You know, sometimes you can get very good at performing your gifting and performing your calling, but you're lacking true intimacy with the Lord. Jesus made this bold statement, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's pretty bold. Is Jesus saying that apart from me, you're unable to perform your calling? That apart from me, you're unable to perform even the giftings that I've given you? No, because many people do these things apart from him. In Matthew, we know that you can cast out demons. You can prophesy in his name and do mighty works, but never be in relationship with him. Your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation to intimacy. Say it over and over and over again. 
So I believe what Jesus was trying to communicate when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He wasn't referring to works. He wasn't referring to accomplishments or calling or quote unquote good things. You can actually do those things apart from him. He was referring to value. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Say that with me. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when he says you will bear much fruit, what is fruit? Fruit is the tangible expression of union and fellowship with God. Fruit is what it looks like in your life practically of your relationship with the Lord. So when you walk with a love, agape love, the kind of love that only you get through the, your fellowship with the Spirit, when people see that in you, that fruit is because of union. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is he saying? Fruit has value. And when you do it apart from me, there is no value. Now, let me say this. You could do good things and people can be touched. People can actually be delivered. So I'm not saying that it won't do good things temporally. But what about eternally? So Jesus is placing the value on relationship and the byproduct of it over what we can accomplish on our own strength. He is not diminishing the fact that there will be fruit. It's just those things that are produced in our own strength outside of fellowship won't hold eternal value. How do we know that we're starting to pursue promise over intimacy and relationship? How do, what, what signs do we see in our life? I believe there are a couple. One is consistent frustration. Why? Because you have to do something that's impossible on your own. Wouldn't that be kind of frustrating? God, how am I going to do this? I don't know. Your calling is an invitation to in intimacy. Problems become exaggerated. Hope becomes diminished. Lack of divine inspiration, fear increases, lack of motivation. And the thing about it is, is in his presence, all those things are removed. Have you ever been struggling with something and you're just trying to figure it out? You're just trying to make this thing happen. And then you go spend time with the Lord and there's... <laughs> Why don't we do that sooner? I mean, we're all guilty of that, right? So just like when Peter shouted, Lord, save me, his attention was redirected back to Jesus, which brought salvation, security, and peace. So when we're experiencing these things in our life, what does it tell us? My attention needs to be redirected back to him. So calling, destiny, and purpose and giftings have value in the context of relationship. So what ensures, what guarantees the eternal value in what we do? It's relationship. So the promises of God are the fruit of his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5. Now he who has made us 
and prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a guarantee, a down payment on the fulfillment of the promise. So what is the down payment? What is the guarantee of your promise? The Holy Spirit. And how do we connect relationship? How do we connect relationally with our God? Through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So what is the guarantee of the promise? The Holy Spirit. How do we connect relationally to God? The Holy Spirit. Do you see how they're connected? So our relational connection to the Holy Spirit is the foundation of fulfilled promise. Holy Spirit is the guarantee to the promise. The guarantee that the promise will be fulfilled is our relational connection to the Holy Spirit. I said it four different ways. (laughs) What is the guarantee that your calling, your giftings, your passion, your purpose will be fulfilled? By how hard you work. By a relational connection to the Holy Spirit. Can you see why our can you see why we can get so frustrated with the calling of God on our life? God, this isn't happening fast enough. What's the hurry? Because it's actually an invitation to intimacy. So the promises of God are not goal-oriented, but relational in nature. So goal-oriented places the focus on what I can accomplish on my own strength. It creates personal milestones, checklist of accomplishments. And your personal value is then tied to these accomplishments. Have you ever looked at your calling and said, I am so far behind? What is wrong with me? Because I'm looking at my calling as a destination. I'm looking at my calling as my pursuit. But truly, he is my pursuit. So when his promises are relationally oriented, it places the focus on what we can accomplish together. Creating joy in the process. Knowing that the journey only makes us closer. Think about this. When we put our attention back on him, there's actually joy in the journey. How many want some joy in the journey? (laughs) That's so good. It's when we put our attention on him, we find joy. And victories are not only won, but shared. Have you ever just talked to God and and God did something and you're like, that was awesome? You know, And, and, and you recognize you did a small part of it, right? But you're like, this is just awesome. It's because when we do it with relationship and heart, 
We share it. We co-labor together. It's a pretty lonely place when you look and say, look at what I have done. Yeah. All right. How many of you believe that God has a plan for you? I appreciate that. I was wondering after preaching all that, people were like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say yes here or like, is this a trick question? All right, let's try it again. It is not a trick question. Okay. How many of you believe that God has a plan for you? Awesome. Awesome. Now here comes the part. No, I'm just... How many of you believe that his desire is to lead you into all good things? That when you follow him, that his purpose is to lead you into what he has spoken and promised. Then why? Okay, maybe there is. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought there wasn't, but yeah. So why would we need to spend one moment, one ounce of emotional energy trying to figure out what to do? How many of you have spent nights tossing and turning and how is this going to happen? How am I going to make this happen? Does he have a plan for you? Yes. Do you believe that he leads you into all good things? Yes. Do you believe that if he said it, it will happen? Yes. Why do I need to spend one moment thinking about how to make this happen? Your calling is not a destination, it is an invitation. I'm going to say it over and over again. So when you think about your calling, you shouldn't think about what I should do. It should be, I need to connect with Father. If he is leading, then our responsibility is to follow. If he has a plan, then it's his responsibility to reveal it. And for us to listen and lean in. But when we listen and wait, it is not inactive, but it is intentional. We know from scripture that he speaks in a still small voice. We also know that he speaks in the earthquake and he speaks in the wind, right? And he speaks uh, uh, like thunder, right? But we know that he also speaks to us in a still small voice. I know that when we uh, teach uh, the prophetic, that's what we encourage. He, He speaks to you in a still small voice. So does God have a small voice? Or does he have a purpose in speaking to us in this way? Is there intention? Is there intention? I believe the reason he speaks to us in a still small voice is because it requires us to come in close to here. So if I would take this mic away and you were interested in what I was saying, you would have to come close to me. Actually, God speaks in such a small voice that he brings you so close that it gets a little uncomfortable. (laughs) He's breaking the bounds of comfortability. 
How many of you have like, uh, like you, you're passing my comfort level on how close you are to me? And God says, come in closer. Come in closer. So I believe it requires us to lean in, to come close, to break the bounds of comfortability. So if you believe he has a plan, then all you need to do is trust and follow. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Really? I mean, just trust and follow. That's it, everybody. Let's go now. But yeah, all you need to do is trust and follow. Generally speaking, we build trust with those around us by consistent positive behavior, right? When you're building trust with someone and they're doing good things and they're communicating and they're being positive in their behavior, what happens? Trust is built, right? Mama talks like uh, putting money in the trust bank. Do you guys remember that? So trust is built by consistent positive behavior. So they prove themselves to be trustworthy. It's kind of like watering a plant. You continually give the plant what it needs to grow. And if you do the things necessary for growth, it will grow. It will become firmly rooted, strong, as well as life-giving. And if you don't, you'll see the results. Um, I have a new office downstairs, and I was like, I was looking for some things to fill it, and I went, went into the store, and I thought, you know what? I think my office needs some plants. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And I got the plants that you have. What are they called? Uh, succulents. Okay. And it says you need to water these three or every three weeks. I said, that is for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That is for me. And I was like, I can do this. I bought three of them. I'm down to one. So actually, three weeks is a little too much to ask. Right? And I I don't know who I told, but I said, if you see some fake ones of those that fit into that container, just go ahead and get them. I know. Big things happening in there, right? Um... So the plant died because I didn't give it what it needed. So if trust is developed by consistent positive behavior. Now, now we're talking about trust with the Lord. And so when it says, count it all joy when you're faced with various trials, um, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So meaning, when I step out in faith and God moves... What does that actually give me? It actually gives me patience, which is what? Trust. So the more I see God move on my behalf, the more I'm willing to wait and trust. Does that make sense? All right. So, so if consistent positive actions or behavior is what waters trust or develops trust, what is the soil in which we plant our trust? You see, trust must be firmly planted before it can grow and develop. So where do we plant our trust? We know if we water it, and we know if we put it out in the sun, it's going to grow, and it's going to develop, and it's going to be firmly rooted, and it's going to bear fruit 
you know, if it's a fruit-bearing thing, right? But what is the soil of trust? What, is, what do you plant the seed of trust into? Now, this was a while back, but Layla, she's, she's one of our communicators, all right? All of my kids communicate, but she's our heart communicator. This is what I feel kind of thing. So I think she was, I don't know, she was old enough to talk, so let's say two, three, I don't know. And one day she, I don't know if we were doing something, but she, just all of a sudden she says, Daddy, I trust you. And I was like, really? Okay, that's great. And knowing me, I was like, why? Why, why, why would you do such a thing? No, <laughs> why, why would you say that? Why, where did that come from, right? And she said, well, because I love you. So her trust was planted in the soil of love. Does this make sense? So John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in love. So what is the soil that we plant our trust? Love. And it goes on. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Can you see a problem when someone pursues calling which requires trust, but is not yet firmly rooted in love? Your calling requires a great deal of faith and trust. More than you're actually prepared for right now. Because faith and trust develops, right? But what is it planted in? What must it be firmly pressed into? The soil of love. So if love is present, fear must go. So if we're not firmly rooted in love or firmly planted in love, the result will be motivation by fear. You know, why does everybody else get all the breaks? I just don't. I'm doing everything I know, Lord. And it seems like everybody else is a step ahead. That's called motivated by fear. You know, God is just not really moving fast enough. I thought at this point in my life, I would be here. Lord, you said it in your words over me. You prophesied it, and I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful, but I'm not seeing it. Why isn't this happening? That's called motivated by fear. You know what? I think I'm just going to have to make this thing happen. Now, we might never say that, but we start acting like it. That's called motivated by fear. But what should we be firmly pressed into? His love. He has a plan for me, and it is for good. I don't always understand, but he is good. So when we start making decisions out of fear, come on.
You see, when you're planted in love, it drives out fear. Remember I said it's about relationship, and when it's about relationship, there's actually joy in the process. There's joy in the process. Which means I'm no longer motivated by fear. And fear is no longer in the driver's seat. And I've talked about this before, but fear's ultimate goal is to control you. It's not to make you afraid. It's not to make you like, I don't know. It's to control you. And when you're planted, when you're firmly pressed into love, it actually drives out fear. Does this make sense? This is why our pursuit is ultimately for his heart, not his hand. What did I say earlier? That his presence, his heart, is our pursuit. And his promises, his hand, his power, is the fruit. Psalms 103.7 He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. In the New Living Translation, it says, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So the people of Israel only experienced the acts of God. They were connected to what he did, not who he was. Are you guys seeing this? Their relationship with God was what he did for them. But Moses had access to why he did it. Are you guys seeing this? Whereas Moses knew the why and the heart of God's ways. John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is saying that his commandments are what firmly plants us in his love. Okay. So we are to be firmly pressed into love, planted in love. How does Jesus actually tell us to be planted? How how does that happen? He actually says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I think this is where people get a little scared. And then we go back to old ways of thinking. It's just about rules. But if you understand his heart, are you guys following? If you understand his heart, then you know his ways are good and his commandments aren't an issue. Does that make sense? If you are firmly firmly pressed into love, rooted a trust is growing. When he speaks something, you know that it's for your good. And secondly, he's not expecting something from you that he has not done. What does it say? Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So is he saying to us to be like the Israelites and do what he says because he told us to? Or is he offering the same relationship that Moses experienced? So when Jesus says, you, are, you abide in love by keeping the commandments or keeping what he says, 
Is he saying, be like Israel, only just do it because I told you? Or is he saying, I'm offering you my heart? Do you see the difference? So the only way to abide in love is to know the heart of the commandments. Do you just want to know his, the plan or his heart? How many of you have ever spent so much time asking God, what's the plan, Lord? What is the plan? Can you give me the plan? I need the plan. I'm going to say plan one more time. Plan, plan, plan. All right. Just tell me what to do, Lord. Do you want to know the plan or do you want to know his heart? Because when you know his heart, the plan makes sense. Let's say that again. When you know his heart, the plan makes sense. Because Moses knew his ways, but the people of Israel just saw his acts. Does this make sense? So do we want to know the plan or his heart, his character, and to understand the whys to his ways? So this is all in... Uh, in John 15, all, the, all these scripture verses that I've kind of been pulling out. But John 15, 15, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. What does that sound like? It sounds like the relationship that Moses had, that he did not just have commands. He had the heart. He understood the whys to his ways. And the truth is, a master does not need to reveal the heart behind the command. Why? Do it because I told you to. (laughs) Right? Jesus is clearly saying that is not how I see you. This is not what our relationship looks like. You are my friend My heart is available to you. Understanding is available to you. Transparency is available to you. So Jesus is offering his heart, not just his hand. His hand refers to his sovereign power, his actions on his people's behalf. It also refers to a place of blessing, strength, direction, power, and protection. How many times do we pray for blessing? How many times do we pray for strength and direction and power and protection? That's his hand. And we need his hand. But I'm saying he's offering his heart. According to Jesus, slavery is not the context of our relationship. But just like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, we can feel more comfortable as a slave than a friend. Lord, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Actually, tell me where to go. Tell me, tell me where to go, yeah. And then when I'm there, tell me what to say. Yeah. Um, and then tell me how to do it. Give me orders without understanding. But Jesus says, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. And a friend has access to my heart has access to understanding, has access to revelation. You know, sometimes in our mind, we can think it's so much easier just to be a slave because 
it's very much in a box, right? It's very defined. I am a robot and the Lord leads me. But he says, that's not how I see it. Actually, I want connection. I want communication. I want you to understand. You see, in the Old Testament, it was do it because I said, and there will be consequences. But in the New Testament is do it and I will show you. I will actually share my heart. So actually your heart becomes transformed. Do you see it? And then it's not just about a command. It's because who I am. Does this make sense? It's not about the command. It's who I am. I wasn't trying to rhyme there, but it did rhyme. All right? Yeah. Oh, my. So the sacrifice offered to us through, or the salvation offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus is not just to offer us a hand, but to give us his heart. When Christ died for us, it wasn't just, here's my hand now. He was saying, actually, here's my heart. Your calling is not a destination. It's an invitation to intimacy. Have you ever felt like a slave to your calling? A slave to your destiny? A slave to your purpose? Have you ever felt that way? I can raise my hand, sure. Could it be because our attention is in the wrong place? You would become a slave to these things if that's the soul, that's the only thing that you pursue. And the truth is you could be doing everything you're called to and yet feel the same way. Do you realize that you could be doing everything that God had laid out for you but your attention is on the promise. The attention is on the calling. The attention is on the giftings. And your heart is somewhere else. So you could be doing all the things that you're called to and still miss it. Because really it's about the intimacy, not just the promise. It's not a matter of what you're doing but what moves you to do it. I'm going to say that again. It's not about what you do, but what moves you to do it. What moves you to your calling? Is it the platform? Is it the place of influence? Or is it his heart? And the truth is, when you have his heart and that is your focus, the ministry will be so much more powerful. Because the other way, it's about what I can accomplish. And guess what? When it's about his heart, you can think fast on your feet. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you're trying to do it on your own strength, and someone comes in and throws a wrench in the gear, and you're like, 
you get so bent out of shape. But when you have his heart, you're like, okay, what are we doing now, Lord? What are we doing now? Because I'm not pursuing my calling. I'm pursuing his heart. Does this make sense? Good. John 15, 16. You know what? There was a miracle today. Well, maybe I shouldn't speak too soon. I think I might be done before 12. It might happen. Okay. I might have just lied, but we will see. We will see if this happens. All right. It, it could happen. See, that's doubt right there. Do we have any other doubters? No? Do we have any intercessors? Can we have some intercessors? Who's gonna, okay. All right. I, it could happen. The longer we talk about this, it's not going to happen. All right. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. This is all in John 15. All the things that we've been talking about, they're all intertwined. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have appointed and placed and purposefully planted you so that you would bear fruit and keep on bearing, that your fruit will remain and be lasting, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name as my representatives, he may give to you. Let me just break this down really quickly. I have chosen you and purposely, purposefully planted you. Where did he plant you? What did we just talk about in John 15? Where does he tell us to abide? In love, right? In him, right? So he has chosen you and purposely planted you in his love, right? And then it goes on to say that you would bear fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is the tangible expression of union and fellowship with Christ. That your fruit will remain and be lasting. What does it? Remember when I talked about apart from him you can do nothing? It was referring to value. So that your fruit will remain and be lasting. It not just holds temporal value, but eternal value. Then it ends out with whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Think, okay. We just talked about. Your root or you're planted in love. He doesn't call you a slave he, because he actually tells you why he's doing it. He, he's offering his art. And then what does it say at the end? Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Why? Because you're rooted in his love and you have access to his heart. I think it's in James, but it says... Uh, you do not receive when you ask because you're asking out of selfish motives to meet your own pleasure. But what does it say here? Because you're rooted in love and you have my heart, whatever you ask in my Father's name, you have it. But what is the context? Being rooted in his heart. So why do we have this confidence? Because we're not slaves, but friends who are acquainted with his heart. Connected to his heart. This also reveals that we have greater access to his hand the more we are connected to his heart. When we are connected in heart, it gives us greater access to his hand. But remember, you can't fake intimacy. 
you can be like, okay, he says, if I'm intimate, I get more to hand, and I want some more to hand, and so I need to be intimate. Jesus. <laughs> you can't fake intimacy. You can't fake being real. You know? Anyways, all right. Is it possible? All things are possible to those who believe. All right, do we have any believers in here? Anybody? All right. I'm not feeling the love right now. All right, I'm not. Uh, what? Okay, I, I am gonna. I am gonna just have one more thing to say. Um, it is just. It's not even half a page, people. It's not even half a page. All right. One more thing. Okay. And then I'm going to wrap it up. See, I got nine minutes. And that's actually fast, isn't it? No. No, okay. It's fast. In my mind, it's fast. All right. All right. So when I say this, I knew it was fast. Um, When I say this, I think this section could probably be a sermon but I just want to, like, say it because I think it brings some really good balance. Um, and maybe I'll talk on it at another time. But what does... So we're no longer slaves, but he calls us friends, right? What does friendship look like to God? What does a friendship with God look like? Well, let me just say, the first thing for friendship is actually salvation. Okay, Got that one. All right. So these are the things that are after that. So friendship is developed through intentional, open communication. Exodus 33, 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And you can actually see this throughout the life of Moses. Moses, he had some real conversations with the Lord, like some real ones. So what does friendship look like? Well, obviously, it first starts with salvation. But then after that, it's open, very real, honest communication with the Lord. Meaning to actually be intimate is not to put on a facade before the Lord. Another one is friendship is established through agreement. James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Abraham actually came into agreement with God. So when God spoke something, Abraham had faith for it. So how do we develop uh, a friendship with the Lord? First is salvation. The second is open, real communication. Honesty, basically intimacy. And the second thing is agreement. Meaning if you said it, I believe it. So be it. Make sense? And lastly, friendship with God does not diminish his authority. See, we sing that song. Well, we don't sing it, but people have sung it. Uh, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. I think sometimes people interpret it. I'm a peer of God. I am a peer of God. But if you look at what a friend means in scriptures, it's not a peer. We are not equal with God. So wanted to say that. All right. 
So John 15, there we are again, uh, 14 through 15. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Obviously, my idea of friendship is a little different than the Lord's. Hey, Sam, you can be my friend if you do whatever I say. That doesn't look like friendship in our world, right? So I think it's important to point this out because I think sometimes people can get so caught up in being a friend of God and actually dismiss his authority in our life. All right. So friendship is an open invitation to the heart of God. Well, let's uh, read on. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things I've heard from my father I made known to you. So what does a friend look like? It means you have access to my heart. You have access to understanding. You have access to my ways. If you don't understand something, feel free to, for open communication with me. But it still comes back to, it's about agreement, believing what he says. Thank you. Well, actually, the Bible said it, but I was just, you know, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just playing with it. All right. I think sometimes we can get, a, get oh, man, I got five minutes. It's going to be beautiful. We're landing the plane right now. It's coming down. All right, hope it's not bumpy. All right, so I think sometimes we get caught up in how we should approach God. You know, because we know he's Lord, and that has a different approach, but he's also our friend, That's, but he's also our father. And sometimes we get so caught up in, like, how do I do this thing? But the truth is, Relationships are complex. Even in, in life, in normal life. But how do we get relationship figured out? Through fellowship. How many of you know, uh, let's say with your dad, there were times where it was time to play and there were times where it was time to listen. Like we can understand that, but how do we know that? Because fellowship intimacy, understanding. Does this make sense? So yes, God is all these things. He can reveal himself in all these things. Well, how do we know? Through consistent fellowship with him. Does this make sense? All right. Guess what I'm trying to say is that we have access to the heart of God. Let's take advantage of it. We were never meant to figure this out on our own. Here's my plan for you, but I'm going to keep it real hidden. Okay, if he does hide it, where is it hidden? In his heart. So the plans, the promises of God are not goal-oriented. They are relational in nature. And the expectation of bearing much fruit has never been outside of union and fellowship. So when we're actually commanded to bear much fruit, what is it in the context of? Union and fellowship, intimacy, 
And like I said, intimacy can look at a lot of different ways for different people because we're all different. But being real, open, and honest with the Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, we thank you that you're moving on our behalf. Lord, I thank you that our hearts were open to receive all that you have. And Lord, I pray for things that, uh, that I didn't communicate well enough, Lord, that you are going to make it known to them. And Lord, I, I thank you for the things that really hit home. I thank you that you're going to even speak to those things and so that they become firmly rooted in, within their hearts. Lord, I just decree and I thank you that you don't call us slaves, but you call us friends. That, Lord, we have access to your heart. We have access to understanding. We have access to the, the wise in your ways. And, Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good. You are good, God. And, Lord, I just pray that even as this week goes on, Lord, I pray that the revelation of being firmly pressed into in your love, Lord, that we abide in your love and rest in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we could have the healing teams come up.